0: this is detroit today on 1019 wdet i'm stephen henderson and as always i'm glad you've joined us in the months since the coronavirus pandemic hit the united states unemployment claims have continued to skyrocket This unprecedented surge of job loss is the worst since the Great Depression and could top out at an unemployment rate of 25% next month. Think about that. One in four workers in America not having a job. But as talk of reengaging the economy gets louder and states begin to reopen, workers are being asked to return to the job during a time of profound uncertainty. Wage earners across America are being asked to decide between a paycheck and their health. For those who don't feel safe returning to work, their absence may not be covered by unemployment insurance, leaving many people feeling like they might just be stuck. This trap is something that frontline and essential workers are all too familiar with. And here to talk about the essential worker trap and economic inequality in the time of COVID-19 is Emily Stewart, a reporter with Vox. Emily, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: And also with us is Jim Tankersley, who covers economics and tax policy for The New York Times. Jim, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Jim, I'm going to start with you. In a piece that you wrote in The Times, you say the coronavirus recession has exacerbated racial and income divides in America. This essential worker trap is a big part of that tension. Uh, Talk about how that's working
2: sure absolutely I, I mean it's it's from all sides first off we entered this crisis with just enormous economic equality in america along racial lines along uh, class lines um and we have just seen it widen as this crisis has unfolded and if you think about it it's a huge part it, just because of what sort of work different groups do in the economy um, white college-educated workers are far more likely to be in the jobs where they can work from home, where their incomes have not been, uh, you know, disturbed in any way, where they have been less risk of losing a job, and they're less risk of having to contract the virus by going out every day on the front lines. Whereas workers of color are much more likely to have been sort of in these essential jobs where they're working every day for lower pay, where they. Were, you know working in places where they've had complete disruption to their jobs. And so they have no pay coming in at all. Um, and now when reopening starts to happen, if you're a, a server in a restaurant or someone who works frontline in retail and you don't have safe conditions to go back to, you're forced with this choice, which, again, disproportionately falls to, to workers of color, which is, hey, uh, uh, your health or your money, basically.
0: Right. Right. Uh, Emily, uh, this idea of the essential worker trap also is influenced by the structure of current unemployment benefits. And I, I always think that uh, that people are not quite sure how that's working and how different those benefits look than they do during sort of normal times. But they, but they are playing a huge role in the decisions that people are making about work right now.
1: Right. So, I mean, part of the problem that we are seeing with essential workers right now is that many of them would probably rather be on unemployment. We have an unemployment insurance system at the at this moment that, on top of state benefits, workers are eligible for federal benefits that are $600 a week. And that's a very generous benefit, especially considering that many essential workers are making minimum wage, 9 10 $11 an hour. But what happens? Generally, with unemployment insurance, You cannot voluntarily quit your job and apply. So basically, the way I think about it is, you know, there's not an afraid of dying clause in unemployment insurance. So what has happened with these workers is that many of them, you know, look at this and say, hey, these are pretty generous benefits. I would much rather stay home with my kids or just because I'm afraid of being sick, but they are too afraid to quit their jobs because they worry that they will not qualify for unemployment because they have voluntarily quit their jobs. But also people hear these stories of how these systems are overwhelmed. So you know, there are people who are two months into this and still haven't been able to collect. And so for a lot of people who are going into work, they really feel that there's no option except for to put themselves at risk and continue to stay on the job.
0: Hmm. Uh, and, and talk about how long these benefits, these unemployment benefits, might look more appealing than actually going back to work. I mean, it's not a permanent condition. It's not a. It's not something that will go on forever, at what point does the sort of critical choice uh, land on everyone's lap about uh, having to go back to work uh, because unemployment no longer really is uh, a superior choice?
1: So um, the the CARES Act, the federal law that was passed at the end of March, that expires or the unemployment benefits that are expanded expire at the end of July. So even for people who now have been collecting unemployment. You know, that goes away at the end of July. And what we also see is that in many states they are reopening and people are being recalled to work. Their jobs are coming back online. And so they are no longer eligible for benefits in many cases. And they are their jobs are saying, okay, your job is back, so therefore you have a job. You are no longer eligible for these benefits. But regardless, unless Congress extends the um, provisions under the CARES Act for Unemployment, This all is going to dry up at the end of
0: July. uh, Jim Tankersley, uh, how could restarting the economy too quickly uh, make it uh, worse for the socioeconomic lines? And why is furthering that divide dangerous for the health of our economy and our country? We talk on this show a lot about inequality as it exists uh, in in our society, in the different parts of our of our of our nation, uh, talk about why it's dangerous to sort of lean into that, uh, especially at the point where we're dealing with such a profound health crisis.
2: Well, it's it's impossible to separate the health and economics here, right? and I just think that's so important. First off, it is completely unfair to ask a particularly disempowered group of workers to bear all of the risk of reopening from a health standpoint, which is what we are essentially going to do. Um, everyone who can continue to work from home is going to until they feel comfortable and safe going about their normal business I mean that the virus is what has shut down the economy here. And and so lifting um, restrictions means sending some people back out in, into the world before they're ready now. You could do that in some safer ways with with much better testing, for example. But we don't have that in place. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the meantime, uh, and I think this is a really important second part of this, we are exposing the workers who go back to economic risk, too. I mean, as Emily was saying, there's absolutely this ticking clock to the end of July. But for some workers, that could end right away. If you get recalled to your job, um, you are basically you have to go back. Um, So you put yourself at risk to to go back, and and you lose your unemployment benefits, which would be okay if you, you know, theoretically, if if at least to some degree, if you could earn your former salary. But if you are, for example, a tipped worker, someone who works in in a restaurant, and there aren't customers coming back, you could end up going back to work, exposing yourself to some health risk, and earning way less money, because there's just not as many people feeling comfortable in the economy, spending money. And so it's a double whammy for you. You actually have less money coming in the door than if you've been on unemployment and you have a higher risk to your own health. Mm.
0: Uh, We're having a conversation about the tension between the need to get back to work and reopen the economy here in the United States and the public health risks that workers who don't have much of a choice about going back to work, may face when they get back to the workplace. Uh, We wanna hear from you as well during this conversation. Have you lost your job during the pandemic? And if so, are you able to access unemployment insurance? Are you worried about the prospect of going back to work during the pandemic? Or are you an essential worker who's been working throughout all of this crisis? What are your thoughts on Michigan's economy reopening? Would you like to see that happen sooner? or later. And what do you think employers need to do to make people more confident about the idea of getting back to work? Call and tell us what you would like your employer to do to make you comfortable with the idea of going back to your job at this point. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter Put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. Jim Tankersley, talk about um, what we think, what you think, a, a reasonable strategy would be to sort of ease this burden or the the unevenness of this burden. Uh, how could we do this in a way that doesn't put so much uh, burden on on the most vulnerable, the uh, workers in our society?
2: it's a great question and i think um you know another part of this is is that those workers are also vulnerable if they're left at home you know they they are right now the ones who are suffering more so it's it's a double whammy if, if you are lower income and, and if you are like not a college educated uh, white a worker, basically, you are at much more risk either way in the way that the the economy is right now. So um, reopening, the best way to help everyone would be to be reopen as fast as possible in a way that gives people confidence to start returning to their like regular patterns of behavior. I talked to a lot of economists and and other types of experts, health officials, about what that might look like. And obviously, a vaccine is the number one thing everyone wants. But the, it, while we wait for a vaccine. The, the big thing that many economists talk about is a, a series of sort of te- like really robust testing, not, not with the levels we have now, but like factors of 10 more testing, you know, up to 20 or 30 million Americans a day mm-hmm. so that we know where the virus is and we can aggressively figure out who has it, isolate them until they're through, get them the care they need and, and very aggressively sort of prune the virus down. We're not going to be able to defeat it that way, but we, we will be able to have a much better sense of, okay, if I get in an airplane and everyone around me has been tested and I've been tested, I, I at least might have the confidence of saying I can ride on that flight. Um, whereas if there's not tests, you're, you're not going to feel that kind of comfort. And I think that Again, it's really economists who, who are, are pushing this, and, and and the testing is nowhere near that yet, but it is the, the number one thing that I have heard again and again from experts is without better testing and and a, you know, a much more targeted approach for slowing the spread of the virus and identifying it, we're not going to be able to uh, give people that kind of confidence and get workers
0: back safely. But but isn't that also a strategy that, because, as you point out, we are so far behind Already, you know, putting those kinds of safeguards in place, doesn't that delay the reopening that people are really anxious to see from an economic perspective? I mean, if we started today with, with the idea that that was the strategy and that that was the goal, what where would we be in, in a month even uh, in terms of, of being able to have that kind of uh, assurance for, for people going back to work? The most
2: optimistic projections I have seen say that, well, maybe we could get to some sort of strategy like that within the next couple of months, maybe by the end of the summer. And and that, yeah, that's slower than everybody wants. The flip side, though, is that if, if everybody reopens and some people go back and the virus spikes again, a lot of economists say that that's even worse for workers because again more health risks and and, and more of them will get sick but also then, then people really will do, go into a like complete shutdown like not leaving the house for a while if there's this resurgence right away mm-hmm. and, and I think um so i I think that there are no great answers here I mean that let's be super clear this is not a good this is not a scenario with good possibilities but um but there are some things that are better than others, and and just sort of muddling through right now and hoping that things are okay when we relax restrictions. First off, we haven't seen the economy rebound the way that that a lot of um, advocates of relaxing restrictions would have wanted, and we, we we have these health risks, and I think that that's, those really do tie together in a way that says, hey, hey, we need a more concerted strategy for how to give people confidence that they're going to be safe when they re-engage in normal life. Yeah.
0: Uh, Again, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Call and tell us what you're thinking about the idea of getting back to work. Are you confident that you can do that and not risk your health? Uh, Also, give us a call and tell us what you think your employer needs to do to give you the kind of assurances that would let you go back to work without those worries. Uh, Ben from St. Clair Shores is back on the lines. Let's go to him. Ben, what's on your mind?
3: Yes, I'm here, Steve. Can you hear me?
0: I can. Go ahead, Ben.
3: Yes, I worked for one of the two that went on bankruptcy, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going back on Monday to start back to building Jeeps.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I've had two mass hirings since the bankruptcy, and in that came a new paradigm in the workforce and uh, socialization as opposed to focusing on building a the product. They put a barrier supposedly to separate us, to minimize getting virused, but I'm not confident that's going to be enough. I've been ahead of the curve over the past decade or so. I've been wearing face masks. Mm. Uh, man, you go to a, a public bathroom, everybody should be wearing one. Mm. So we're going to have that problem, along with uh, people not exercising good hygiene. Just like right now, you got people walking around without face masks. I'm expecting to see the same thing in the workplace, even though they have restrictions. The governor is putting it out over the state. Yet, people are not honoring that.
0: So, so Ben,
3: problem in the plant.
0: So Ben, talk to me about what that will look like for you when you go back. And I am assuming you're talking about the Jeep plant. Here in Detroit, uh, uh, down on down on East Jefferson, um, are you are you not going to go to work? Or oh,
3: I have to go. I'm, yeah. I'm a union man. Uh, I'm close to retirement, mm-hmm. so I'm in a coin flipping situation. Do I uh, early out or stick it out for the next contract?
0: Sure. Do sure. I get
3: to thirty, in? You know, uh, the next few weeks. If not days, it's gonna make a difference. This year would definitely determine whether I file for uh, for checking out of this place, man, and do something else with my life because uh, it's scary
0: because of the because of the health risks. Yeah, Ben, I yeah. I, I really appreciate the call uh, and the perspective. I would imagine that there are a lot of people in our community. Uh, who also work in plants like that one or in that plant specifically who have the same kinds of uh, concerns. And so Ben, uh, we'll count on you to keep us posted as well about what your experience is like when you get back to work on Monday and whether there are things in place that uh, make you feel a little more confident. But again, thanks for the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Sue in St. Clair Shore. Sue, welcome to the program.
4: Oh, thank you. Um, I'm wondering about um, I work in the entertainment business and so many people are talking about, you know, the first people to go back. I'm going to be one of the last people to go back. Mm. And once unemployment runs out, you know, I, I don't see anything until the beginning of next year, possibly. And what are we supposed to do? You know, once unemployment is gone, and we still can't go back to work. Yeah, uh, and uh, I don't hear anybody talking about them. You know, other sure. people. So at Sue, all, so. so
0: Sue, before I have our guests uh, address your question, I wonder if you could give us a little more of an idea of why your work won't come back uh, as soon as as other other people's. Which part of the enter- entertainment industry are you working in?
4: Good time.
0: Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sue.
4: I said everything we do involves crowds of people. Yeah. You yeah. know, whether it's concerts or theater or even corporate events uh, involve large numbers of people congregating in one spot. Mm-hmm. So I don't see that happening for a very long time.
0: Yeah. Uh, Sue, I appreciate the call and you're sharing uh, your concerns and your experience with us. Uh, Jim Tankersley and Emily Stewart, talk about these kinds of uh, parts of the economy where it's not even a question of whether people will go back to work. It's a question of whether the work will be there at, at any time soon or, or maybe at all. Is there some talk about how unemployment might play a different role for folks like that or are there are other things on the table? Uh, Emily, I'll start with you.
1: Well, I think, you know, as we said before, the current expanded benefits, are supposed to expire at the end of July. So there's a chance that Congress would extend them, but we don't know. Um, you know. We also have projections that the unemployment rate will be very high, not just next quarter, but through the end of 2021, and 9%, 10%. And I think you know there is a chance that a lot of people just will not have jobs to go back to. Um, as we've seen in prior recessions, people may need to look for other lines of work, other jobs. The job that they had before doesn't exist or won't be back for a long time, I think. There are not a lot of easy answers for millions of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a scenario where that's certainly the case.
5: Yeah, Uh,
0: Jim Tankersley, I would imagine that economists are starting to look at this as one of the potential long-term effects of this pandemic. In other words, work that has gone away that may not be able to come back in the same way that it did uh, before or may not be able to come back at all.
2: Yeah, I think it's one of the real risks that economists uh, have begun to warn increasingly loudly about about the policy response to this pandemic, that um, the economy has essentially had the lights dimmed across the country. And um, the strategy at first was Congress was just spending a lot of money, a lot of borrowed money to try to keep as many people and businesses um, whole and, and surviving as, as they could uh, until all the lights come back on. But it really increasingly looks like Congress does not have appetite to continue that for, for a prolonged amount of time. And so you're going to uh, end up with a lot of, of companies and industries like the caller is talking about that are going to open way later than everybody else or than a lot of others and will not have that bridge of support to get them there. Mm-hmm. And we really could see just a, a, an enormous amount of business failures and, and bankruptcies and though, that does cause long run structural damage. If we think about why the recovery from the last recession took so long, it was in large part because we just lost so much and we're slow to, to rebuild it, both on the individual side and on the business side. And, and this has the potential, depending on what policymakers do, to be much worse.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the dangers of reopening to workers, to essential workers and others. We want to continue to take your calls as well. Uh, Kevin in Monroe, Elena in Detroit, John on the East Side, we'll get to you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. right today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Emily Stewart, a reporter with Vox, and Jim Tankersley, who covers economics and tax policy for the New York Times. We're talking about the tension between the need to get the economy back churning and get people back to work and the health risks that people might face when they go back to work. We're also talking about how the burden of those risks falls disproportionately on those at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder and, uh, of course, uh, across racial lines as well. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. Give us a call and tell us what you're thinking about the prospect of getting back to work, what you think your employer should be doing to make that uh, more more comfortable for you, easier to, to, to deal with without these health risks. Uh, also, give us a call and let us know what your employer is doing or has done already to get you back to work. Uh, again, 313 577 1019 is the number. On the phones, you can also go to Facebook or to Twitter and leave comments there, and we'll try to work them into the conversation. Let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to Detroit Today. Elena, we need you to turn your radio down. Can you hear me, Elena?
5: I can hear you, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to mention to our listeners and to you, thank Mm -hmm. you for this great conversation, Uh about the students in Detroit public schools and Mm -hmm. tonight there's going to be a meeting on zoom of the detroit board and it's going to be about returning and they are going to have closed session about covid19 and what precautions they're going to be taking but the ap students and teachers are actually being asked to go in to the schools and take the exams Mm. even though everybody knows it's not safe to go back but the problem in detroit is that there isn't the technology for the students to take their exams.
0: Right. I mean, what what, what choice would they have, I think, uh, is, is one well, of the
5: questions. Well, one choice would be that the technology be delivered to the students. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is certainly the capacity to do that. But the danger of going into the buildings and the multi-generations of people involved in this, it's not that young people are so vulnerable, but they are certainly carriers. And they could also be vulnerable. But the issue of the Economic inequities is compounded here when students are faced with teachers and people in the buildings, and a lot of the districts haven't gone back yet, but some of their staff have gone back because they don't want to pay unemployment. So people are being told that they're going to be considered abandoning their job if they don't go back. So they really are being asked to put their lives at risk or not be able to get unemployment or a paycheck.
0: Yeah. No, So
5: this is something I really want to mention that AP students, both of the students who have worked so hard to get to this point, there were very few AP classes offered, and now that there are, our students are very vulnerable.
0: Yes. No, no, I think I'm really glad you called and mentioned that. That's not something I would have thought of uh, in the context of this conversation, but it's absolutely one of the really garish examples, uh, really, of the unfairness. Uh, that that we live with here and, and how it's affecting people in our city. Elena. I, I appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, let's go to Kevin in Monroe. Kevin, welcome to the show. In
6: the comments, let's go to Kevin in Monroe. Kevin,
0: Kevin can you turn your radio down, bud? Hey, thanks
6: yeah, for having there me. There you go.
0: All right. Welcome to the show.
6: Um, so uh, situation that uh, me and my significant other kind of faced faith- I work for Prometica Hospital System. So I've been working throughout the entirety of the the pandemic. Um, But his situation, um, he works as a maintenance technician for the GM plant in Toledo, Ohio. So while we reside in Michigan, Mm -hmm. um, we are on a stay-at-home order. However, uh, he was called back to work for the plant in Toledo. So he was faced with a conundrum of, do I return to work or do I follow my stay-at-home order? And potentially face, you know, losing his job. Right. Um, so at the end of the day, situation became, he was basically forced into returning to work. It was either that or risk losing a job and then losing unemployment, losing, you know, the the snowball of effect that that would have entailed, basically. Yeah. Um, so I think that it basically put safety versus income um, on the line for us. And it really, just in this past week, was a decision we were for to make. Because not only was it putting um, him at risk, it was putting his other his other workers at risk because said I work the at a house. hospital, yeah. so he 's yeah. already around me who is an exposed potential um, and then going to work, exposing the rest of the staff that 's also being brought to work back at the plant it just I feel like it was kind of a rush situation uh, when questions were asked there weren 't proper answers um, and I think that in the in the rush to get everything back and to get everything back on track we 're kind of forgetting that there are some other safety precautions, especially when in regards to crossing state lines um, that need to be addressed. For yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Kevin, uh, I, I wonder if you can talk about what the conditions in that in that auto plant in Ohio have been like since your partner has returned to work. How, how are they doing with the kinds of precautions that would make it at least less dangerous for him to be going there?
6: So, um, Thank you. Uh, It's a really great question. Um, So as far as I'm concerned, from what both of us are doing at the hospital and at at the plant as well, we go in daily. Uh, There are temperature checks for both of us. Um, There's screening done. So various screener questions are asked, basically asking you if you feel ill, if you've been around anyone that you know has been tested, um, something along those lines, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then throughout his day, they are just like most of us in the healthcare system. They're required to wear masks. They can only be taken off in certain areas where you would be to eat. Um, so, as far as precautions are concerned, they are there. They are in place, and because it's kind of a soft opening at this point, um, there aren't many people yet. Hmm. That's what. That's I think kind of where the catch becomes. Is yeah. as of right now, those those precautions are being met and they're being met accurately. However, once more people start to come in, how accurate is that procedure going to be is kind of where my fear is. Like, yeah. as far as the hospital is concerned, we've been doing the screening almost the entire time. Now, there's one person screening at GM where there are four people screening at the hospital. Wow. So with 20 people coming in, one screener is accurate. However, when you have 200 people coming in, is one to, screener going? Is it going yeah. to be one screener? Are there going to be five screeners? What does the process then become? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Kevin, I, I really appreciate... The call, and you're sharing this this experience that you and your partner are, are having, and I wish you you know continued good health as you as you do that. Uh, Jim Tankersley, I I, I want to get you to respond to to what we've heard from callers here, and especially Kevin. I mean, you know, this really highlights the need to to be more deliberate about the way in which we go go about this. It sounds like their employers are doing the right thing now, but there's still a lot of work ahead to make sure that people are safe.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that that Kevin sort of is highlighting here is that it's really in employers' uh, best interest to be taking these precautions as well, obviously, that they need their workers, they want to be um, you know, able to do as much as they can, and they care about um, uh, safety. And if and if those things are true, you have to be taking these extra precautions. And so um, that's going to vary by company, obviously. And again, this is a place where, you know, we see worker empowerment to be so important if you are a worker who who has historically been able to bargain for safer conditions that's really going to come into your advantage here whereas if, if you are sort of someone on the margins who, who is in a low-wage job and doesn't have a lot of power to demand things from your employer um it's it, you may have to face more risk and so it, again back to the beginning of our discussion just really highlights uh the inequities in the economy and, and the fact that you know, particular groups of workers, you know, and in particular non-white workers, just to do not have the same ability to to uh, you know, demand uh, more safety that uh, that others do. Mm.
0: Uh, Emily Stewart, I wonder if you uh, have uh, thoughts about the, the kinds of decisions that lie ahead of us in terms of getting people back to work and being safe, uh, but also making sure people have uh, money. We've got about a minute left.
1: Right. Well, I will say that I think. This is sort of highlighted also, you know, as much as we do want to say, okay, companies do the right thing, or we hope that they do the right thing, or that unionized workers or organized workers' worker power is important, that really the importance of having a government intervention and a federal strategy here, that Kevin's partner works in Ohio, but something different is happening in Michigan. You know, These sorts of issues are going to pop up over and over again, and employees should not be at the whim of their workplaces as to whether or not they're protected on the job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Emily Stewart and Jim Tankersley it was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow with a conversation with Chad Livengood of Crane's Detroit Business about the state of Michigan's unemployment trust fund. Uh, we're also going to remember tomorrow uh, uh, former State Senator the III, who we have just learned has passed away from complications uh, of COVID-19, yet another huge loss for our community here in Southeast Michigan. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.